0: Please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 22. As you turn to Acts chapter 22 and we continue to look at what Paul says in his defense in Jerusalem, remind those of you who are newer to our church that we're going to be having a new members class this Saturday, Discovering Bethany. I'll be teaching it here at the church and would love to have you come and, and be a part of that. So it's what we ask all people who are considering making Bethany Community Church their are Church home uh, to go through. And so that'll be this Saturday, and you can contact the church office and look forward to, to spending some time with you uh, this weekend. In Acts chapter 22, we continue to see Paul give his defense. We, we begin to or look at that this morning to look at Paul giving his defense there in Jerusalem. And if you're able to, if you would stand with me in honor of God's word as we read it together, I'll begin at the end of verse 21, uh, the end of chapter 21. Says Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, and when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, and we begin in verse 1 of chapter 22. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet, and he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law Of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them, I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed towards Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, And to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to every one of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. You may be seated. May God encourage us through the reading of his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be here this morning. We're grateful to hear the, the testimonies of our brothers and sister, and we praise you for your work, continue to sustain them and sustain us in our professions of faith, draw us ever closer to you, and help us to be bold in our our gospel witness. We pray this uh, for your glory. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. There are are many people uh, who would consider themselves Christians, and yet many of the things that scripture says should be true of a believer are not true of them. When I was in, in college, I, I had a friend. I met the, the first year of college, and he was pre-med, and we were in a lot of classes together, which which surprised me because I was not pre-med, and you know I was in like the, the science class. that was. Science for people who are not going to make a big difference in the sciences 101. I mean, that was the class I was in, and there he was right by me. That's kind of like where we met. And so I was surprised to see him there, and and the first year goes by of college, and then the second year of college takes place. And and not only is he not in science classes, uh, he's, he's definitely not taking biology, but now he's taking all like film classes and art history classes, but he continues to introduce himself to people as a a pre-med major. I think he made the dean's list of the pre-med program uh, despite the fact that he wasn't taking any biology classes and stuff. And then the third year of college comes around and he keeps introducing himself as as pre-med. And uh, at one point, I felt like I had to say something. I said, uh, hey, I don't think you're really pre-med. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, well, like pre implies in the future you're going to be doing things in the medical world and and it doesn't seem like you're really on that trajectory now I didn't know about YouTube at the time but uh, at, the, at this time you know pre-med and implied taking medical classes and things like that and he goes you know what uh, I I think you're right I don't think I am pre-med you know and, and sure enough uh, he's a wonderful guy but to this day not doing much in the medical world right uh, but a very lovely person many people Despite what Scripture says, hey, these, these are the things that are true of a Christian. A, a Christian is a person who loves God. A Christian is, is one who, who loves other believers, who wants to walk in obedience to God, is convicted of sin. Many many people, despite what Scripture says are, are characteristics that are true of Christians, those things aren't true of them. And yet, they haven't hasn't caused them any pause to say, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not a believer. I, I don't love God. Don't want to obey him don't love other christians i don't have a desire to proclaim christ's name to other people maybe i'm not a believer they haven't come to that realization what do we know in scripture about the gospel a person who's understood the gospel recognizes this i, I was lost i was separated from god because of my sins And then a a person who understands the gospel recognizes that truth and then recognizes that Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for their sins. Fully God, fully man, perfect life, died on the cross for their sins in their place and rose from the dead. And a person who's a Christian is a person that God has, has transformed, that he's given them the ability, as, as uh, Daniel said it in his testimony earlier, God, he says, God flicked a switch. There's that, that thing takes place in our hearts where God transforms our hearts and allows us to believe the gospel. We, we recognize that we're sinners. We place our faith in Jesus Christ. We receive his righteousness as he takes our sin from us. We receive a new life, a transformed heart. And scripture tells us A person who's been converted has a desire to to see the lost come to know Christ. Here's kind of the main idea that I want us to, to talk about together this morning. People who are born again abandon their own kingdom building and joyfully proclaim Christ's kingdom Those who've been born again, those with whom God has has, has worked within their hearts, he's transformed them, he's regenerated them, recreated them, those people who are born again, who've placed their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins are those who are now abandoning their own kingdom building and are joyfully proclaiming Christ's kingdom. That's true of those who have been born again. They have an evangelistic impulse, an insatiable desire to make Christ known. Now, in this text that we're looking at this morning, Paul is giving a defense. This is the the second time in the book of Acts we are going to read about Paul's conversion story. The first time was in Acts chapter nine where Luke tells us about it. Now Paul is telling us about his conversion. In Acts chapter 26, he's gonna give his conversion story again. It happens three times in the book of Acts, also in the book of Galatians. In other words, Paul's conversion is an important event. God wants us to understand it. And here in, in this account, We understand that he's giving his conversion story. He's explaining why he's engaging that outreach to the the Gentiles so that the people who are accusing him of of attacking the Jewish culture and customs can understand why he's doing what he's doing. We'll see as we look at this story of his conversion that he has a divine mandate, but it's a divine mandate that he joyfully obeys. He's gonna say, look, to those of you that are accusing me of attacking the Jewish culture, that that are accusing me of attacking the the Jewish traditions and and essentially attacking God himself, here's why I love the Gentiles. Here's what God has done in my heart. And because he's done that, here's, here's why I have no other choice but to be obedient to God and have a desire to be obedient to God and proclaim the gospel To all people. That's what Paul's going to do. And as we look at this text, we're going to look at three reasons why it's true for all of us that all of us who are in Christ, all of us who have been transformed by God and believe the gospel, who have new life, why all of us, all of us abandon our own kingdom building and proclaim Christ if we're truly born again. Number one, here's the first thing. Number one, we abandon our kingdom to proclaim Christ because we remember who we were. For those of us who are in Christ, who are born again, we abandon our kingdom to proclaim Christ because we remember who we used to be. Listen to how Paul begins. Paul begins in verse 1. He says, hear the defense, and that word defense is uh, the Greek word from which we get the English word apology from. It means to to give, not just to say I'm sorry or something, but it means to say, okay, here's why I did what I did. It's a a defense, a, a reply to an accusation. So Paul says, look, here's my, here's my apology, here's my, my reasoned defense of why I did what I did. And remember his goal here is to answer the charge that the Jews are making against him. Look at the text. Remember how things have kind of gone down in chapter 21. There's this uproar and there's this accusation that Paul, it says earlier in, in verse 29, excuse me, let's begin in verse 28. Remember the the, the people, the Jews from Asia are crying out, I'm in a visual help. This is the man who's teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. He even brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. So that's their accusation against Paul. This is a guy who's attacking the law. He's attacking the prophets. He's attacking this place. He's damaging our our customs. His outreach to the Gentiles is is causing there to be damage to our, our culture. And so Paul it says, listen to my defense. Let's listen to my reason for why I'm doing what I'm doing. And he begins by telling them, look, I'm, I'm just like, I, I used to be just like you are. That's what he's kind of saying in these first five verses. There's that classic movie, Casablanca, where Humphrey Bogart, he says that line, he's talking about a person, he says, he's, He's just like any other man, only more so. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here. Look, I'm just like any of you, or I used to be just like any of you, only more so. The things that you think are true of you, in fact, the things that you celebrate about yourself, those things used to be true of me, only more so. Look at the text. He says, verse three, I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarsus in Cilicia, so... I was born in Tarsus, but I was brought up here. Gamaliel was my teacher. He was a prominent Pharisee, a very famous rabbi. He says, according to the strict manner of the law. So I wasn't just some casual Jewish person. I I wasn't part of the diaspora in some sort of remote part of the Roman Empire. I was here in Jerusalem. I was close to the temple. I was trained under this respected, esteemed rabbi. And I was part of this, this school, this strict observance of the law. And you think you guys are zealous for, for God? You think you have a problem with Christianity? Huh, I had a problem with what we call the way. He says, I, I persecuted this way to the death. I was binding and delivering to prison both men and women. You want proof? Ask the high priest, ask the whole council of elders. They can bear me witness. I received letters to the brothers. I journeyed toward Damascus. I was engaged in persecuting the way. Paul was just like them, only more so. Anything that could, could, sit, could be said to be true of them was even more true of him. And notice how the audience responds in verse two. They're, they, they're silent when they rec- recognize that he's talking to them in the Hebrew dialect. This is probably Aramaic that he's speaking here. He's addressing them, brothers and fathers, I'm, I'm culturally one of you. And their silence is they recognize that he's talking to them and their language recognizes that there's, there's cultural idolatry that's taking place here. Their silence reveals their heart attitude. A huge impediment to the gospel witness throughout the book of Acts among the Jews who become Christians is how culturally they, they unite their, their Judaism with their belief in Jesus Christ. They're, they're unwilling to, to separate their culture from their confession. Paul appreciates his culture. He appreciates what God has done among the Jews. And yet he recognizes that his idolatrous love of his culture caused him to commit some of his most heinous acts of sin his past was something that he had to deal with the rest of his life can you, can you imagine being paul you go into a community of jews and you begin to share the gospel in the synagogues and someone comes up to you and says hey you need to know my mother was put in prison because of you my, my children don't have a father because of your persecution of the church that was a reality that Paul had to live with the rest of his life. And, and how might Paul have responded to that? As someone came up to him and said, you know, this is, this is what your actions did to my family. How might Paul have responded to that? He could have been very cavalier toward it. Hey, you know what? That's who I used to be. It's not a big deal. You need to forgive me because God's forgiven me. That's not how he responds to his sin. He might have also said this, well, I I guess because I was such a terrible person, I can't get past my sin. I'm no longer fit for any sort of ministry or service to the Lord and his kingdom. And so I I can't get past it. And so he, he becomes ineffective for the kingdom. Neither one of those are gospel responses and neither one of those are how Paul responds. Listen to how he describes who he used to be. Uh, and and how he describes who he used to be shows a a biblical reckoning of his past. And all of us must biblically reckon with our past in such a way that avoids minimizing sin or minimizing our savior. Listen to what Paul says as he talks about who he used to be. Galatians 1.13, he says, you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. He acknowledges, look, you've heard of this. Churches in Galatia, you know what I did. I violently persecuted the church of God. 1 Corinthians fifteen 9. I'm the least of the apostles. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He's not minimizing the heinousness of what he did. First Timothy chapter one, this this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, but I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So this biblical grasping of his past is true of Paul and it must be true of all of us who are truly in Christ we recognize at least somewhat what we were saved from. We we reckon with that biblically. This is the heinousness of of what I did and this is the greatness of my savior. And a person who has a, a biblical understanding of conversion wrestles with that. They remember who they were. Paul would say this, in Philippians chapter three, showing that a biblical grappling with who he used to be fuels his, his missionary impulse. He says this in Philippians chapter three, I wanna know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He's talking about a future event. Not that I've already obtained this. I haven't already arrived there. I'm not already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. I don't, I don't wallow in the past. I don't minimize what I did, but I don't, I don't define myself by that. I define myself by who I am in Jesus Christ. Paul is telling them, look, I used to be like you. I was lost. Maybe this morning you're, you're discouraged, As you think about past sin, maybe it's been hard for you to move on from past sins, either sins that you've committed or or sins that others have committed against you. And it's it's hard for you not to define yourself by your past. But what encouragement does, does the scripture give us as we think about the gospel? Look, in Christ... What used to be true of us is is no longer true, that the things that Paul used to love, he now hates, and the things that he used to hate, he now loves. What's the practical gospel proclaiming outgrowth of this biblical understanding of our past? Well, there's a couple things that happen to us as believers when we think about our past. First of all, there's humility, right? There's humility. When we approach those who are lost, and we, we talk about sin. We, we don't approach the lost and talk about their sin as though we we're just just shocked that anyone can, can do the things that they do. What does Paul say in Ephesians chapter two, he says that we were by nature, uh, like the rest, we're children of, of wrath. We, were walk, we walked like they did. We lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were like the rest of mankind, children of wrath. One of the greatest gifts I think we can give someone when we're ministering to them and, and talking about where they're at, someone comes to us and they're talking about a, a sin that they're struggling with. They say, you know what? This is, this is what's going on in my family. Uh, my, my, my child did this and and I responded I responded in, the, in this sinful way. You know, one the, let me put it this way. One of the worst things we can do is go, oh my. I, I, I can't even imagine that. That's shocking. That's terrible. Shake our heads and disgust and silence that's that's not a biblical understanding of sin right a biblical understanding of sin as we hear others talk about their sin as we reach those who are either believers struggling with sin or or those who are not yet believers we say okay i i recognize that in my own heart that's not shocking to me I, i i understand that impulse now let me tell you about what jesus christ did with my sins For the believer, there's a there's continual repentance. Not all sin, of course, is pre-conversion. Like like Paul is talking about his sin here. The difference is now that those those sins don't define us. There's compassion. There's hope as we communicate the gospel. So here's the here's here's what we see. We abandon our kingdom to proclaim Christ. First of all, because we remember who we were. And secondly, we abandon our kingdom to proclaim Christ because we stand in awe of God's miraculous work of regeneration. Paul continues, this is what used to be true. I mean, then it comes to verse six and, and the question the audience might have is, okay, uh, this guy seems all right. You know, he's, he's passionate about persecuting the church. Like, like we are, what, what happened? What, what happened to this guy that caused him to change from being a persecutor of the church to his most effective evangelist? And that's the question he gets to next. And he says this, and by the way, as you notice chapter nine, the conversion account, as you think about his conversion account here in chapter 22, as you see it in chapter 26, you're gonna notice some slight differences. So for example, in chapter 26, he's gonna truncate some of the details. He's not gonna talk about going to the temple in Jerusalem like he does here in chapter 22. In chapter nine, he's gonna talk about how they they heard some sounds, and in chapter uh, chapter 26. He's going to talk about how they, they only he heard the the voice and understood it. In other words, he's going to he's going to emphasize different things in all the accounts. Only he is the one who understands what the voice is saying. But he's going to emphasize, or Luke is going to emphasize, different things in different accounts and truncate things and expand on things. But all the accounts agree with one another. Now, why are there differences? Well, the differences are there because there's different audiences that he's talking to and different purposes for communicating the conversion story. So in chapter nine, the story is to talk about how Paul changes from Saul to Paul. And in chapter 26, he's before Agrippa and he's gonna talk about why he's been ordered by God to engage in this divine mandate and how God is his ultimate authority. And so that's gonna shape the details that he shares there. But again, what's our purpose here in chapter 22? In chapter 22, there's an accusation, you're destroying the Jewish faith. And so here's, he's saying, here's my apology, here's my, here's my defense before you. And so that shapes the details that he, that he shares. Here's the conversion that took place within my heart to cause me to desire to reach the Gentiles. So with that being said, look at what, it, look what happens in the text. He says, I was on my way, came near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me and I, I fell to the ground. I heard the voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that's a beautiful phrase there that Jesus proclaims as he identifies himself with the church, right? Paul asks, well, well who are you, Lord? Verse nine, or in verse eight, he responds, I'm, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. So again, highlights that aspect of persecution that that Paul's engaging in. You're persecuting the church, and as you persecute the church, you're persecuting me. Verse nine, those around Paul don't understand the voice, they can't make out what it's saying. And then in verse 10, Paul responds, what do you want me to do? What's taking place in this story? You said, "Well, this is this is Paul becoming a Christian." Oh, okay, that's true. But but what does that mean? Well, he's he's believing in Jesus Christ. Yes, that's that's true. He's converted. Yeah. Okay. Yes. But but how? Paul has heard the gospel before, hasn't he? Remember, Paul has mentioned how he was there in or he's going to mention this in this account, how he was there whenever they, they stoned Stephen. He's heard the gospel. He heard Stephen talk about the gospel. He, he heard Stephen give a response to these exact accusations that he's been accused of. So he, he's heard the gospel before. Why didn't he respond whenever Stephen did? Why does he trust in Jesus Christ? Now, why does he trust in Christ, Jesus as the Christ now and not earlier when he heard what Stephen was proclaiming? It's, it's more than he's just gaining more information. It's more than it's just a dramatic moment. What happens here, based upon how Paul describes God's work elsewhere, there's there's a, a moment that's that's changed here. There's... Regeneration that God works here, new life that God gives, transformation, recreation, being born again. And it is absolutely necessary to respond to the truth of the gospel with belief. (coughs) Regeneration is absolutely necessary for us to be able to respond to the gospel message with belief. This may shock you, but sometimes uh, pastors are accused of being boring. I know. I know. It's shocking. Terrible accusation. I remember when I was a youth pastor, and, and uh, parents would say, You know, uh, my, my kids think you're a little boring. And, uh, I, I, you know, my goal as a youth pastor had been to come alongside parents and, and to proclaim God's word and, and to teach them. And, and whenever people said that, I, you know, a couple things were going on. First of all, sometimes I was. OK, I mean, there's no getting around that reality. I was a seminary student at the time. And sometimes some things would get me really excited. Uh, maybe they wouldn't be as excited about it. And maybe they weren't the best things to be talking to uh, seventh graders about. Sometimes uh, they weren't as interested in some of those finer theological details. So sometimes, yes, right, I was boring, guilty, you know. Uh, some could argue it still happens occasionally, but whatever, right, you know. It happens it happens and, and for sure pastors as we proclaim God's word we have to be excited about the text and, and the things that God is revealing about himself there needs to be excitement so yes that's true but also the reality is this and this is something we really have to grapple with youth ministry is tough by the way right this is all all ministry to one another is tough there's another reality that happens when I was a youth pastor and still today not everyone I speak to is a believer. Not, everything, not, everyone, not every kid that was coming to youth ministry was, was a believer. And the things that, that they loved were not the things of God. In fact, many of the things they loved dearly were things that were in direct opposition to God's word. God's word did not excite them. The reality is many of the youth were not yet Christians at that time and and sometimes the danger is we think that the answer to growing a youth group or growing a church or growing people in the Christian faith is just kind of be emotional and and get people to respond to the truths of who God is through emotionalism and in reality emotionalism if it's not grounded in God's word can become quite dangerous to one's spiritual well-being J.C. Ryle would, would say this as he talks about he talked about the partakers of the higher life in his day, people who were advocating the 1800s emotionalism. He says, man, this is, he didn't say man. He said, this is really dangerous. <laughs> he says, the word of God always speaks of two great divisions of mankind and, and two only. In other words, there weren't the unconverted and the converted and the really spiritual. He says, God's word only speaks of two classes of, of human beings, the, the saved, the saved and the unsaved. He says, it speaks of the, the living and the dead, the believer and the unbeliever, the converted and the unconverted, the travelers in the narrow way and the travelers in the broad way, the wise and the foolish, the children of God and the devil. He continues, I confess I prefer the old paths. If they're old in the 1800s, right? He says, "I, I prefer the old paths. I think it wiser and safer to press on all converted people the possibility of continual growth in grace, the absolute necessity of going forward, increasing more and more, and every year dedicating and consecrating ourselves more in spirit, soul, and body to Christ. We abandon our kingdom to proclaim Christ because we we stand in awe of God's miraculous word of regeneration. We say something's happened in my heart that causes me to love God and his word and it's something that only God can do. We don't need emotional manipulations. We need hearts that can respond to the right truth with the right confession. John chapter three, Jesus says, look, I, I say to you, unless one is born again has rebirth, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse six, he would say that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit don't marvel to you don't marvel that i said to you you must be born again again and all of this this new birth can only come from god ezekiel 36 god tells his people i will give you a new heart and a new spirit i will put within you first peter chapter one verse three blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead second corinthians 5 17 our continued Our our changed heart continues to affect us. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Galatians 6.15, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Colossians 3.10, God has put... God calls us to put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. This is a work that only God can do, and it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead gives us spiritual life. It's something only God can do. We know conversion takes place in the story because of the question that Paul asks, that should be the question that is asked by every genuine believer. Here's Paul. He's on his way to Damascus. What is he doing? He wants to, he has murderous threats against the, the, the Christian Jews. And as he's on, he's on that path and he's headed that way, and, and God works in his heart and changes him. And we know, how do we know that he's changed? Because of the question he asks in verse 10 What do I do now? What shall I do, Lord? Obviously, this is not the way I need to continue to walk. I've been changed. I have this new heart. Now, God, I'm looking to you. Do you you tell me what to do? That's true of every genuine believer. We know conversion takes place because now the question the believer asks is, what shall I do, Lord? What does my future hold? What do you want me to do with my life? There's a clear recognition that the plans that I held for my life moments ago are no longer compatible with who I am now. You don't just clean up the old life and, you know, get on a rag and kind of dust it off. The, the, The new life no longer works for the believer. Paul's point, again, as he gives this defense, I was like you, but God intervened in a miraculous way. And now Paul still stands in awe of God's miraculous work of regeneration it's probably a good moment just to pause and ask ourselves if, if genuine conversion has been experienced in, in our own hearts. Uh, Henry, in, in his uh, testimony earlier, I think gave a, a, good, a good understanding of what happens many times in our lives. We, we look at where we are. We say, okay, what I'm doing right now doesn't, doesn't match with what I know is supposed to be true of a believer. And, and so we, we step back and we say, okay, God, What what does that mean? It it could mean that that simply we aren't living like who we are. I think the reason that God gives us many of these passages we've talked about is to remind us, hey, this is who you are in Christ. We say, okay, you know what? That is who I am. The spirit of of God is testifying that that's true of me. As, As Henry said, looked at Romans 10, said, okay, this is what God's word says. I believe this, this was true of me. I'm gonna continue to grow in my faith. Praise God, right? But many times what's gonna happen Sometimes we're going to come to, these, come to these realities and say, you know what? This is not true of me. What scripture says about the desires of a believer are, are not true of me. God, I, I, can, I confess, I, I, don't, I don't believe that I've truly been been born again. We cry out to God to change our hearts. A sign that conversion has not been experienced is if we have a love for the world, no desire to repent, a, no love for others, and are enslaved to sin, and and indifferent to the lost. If we are indifferent to the lost in the world as a sign and love our culture more than we love the lost. It's a sign that we do not have new life within us. Here's the third thing I want us to think about, number three. as so we think about what happens in the heart of a believer. We abandon our kingdom to proclaim Christ because we want to make him known. That's what happens with someone who's truly in Christ. Paul continues, he says, uh, he's talking about what Ananias has has, has testified to him. And in verses 12 through through 13, he talks about how Ananias came to him and he says he's a devout man according to the law. He was well spoken of by the Jews and he, he came to me. So again, kind of as he gives this defense talking about, I'm not talking about some sort of guy who lived this. This life separate from Jewish cultures and customs, but as Ananias, devout man according to law, he came, and he told me to receive my sight from the Lord, and I, and I did. And he and he told me that the God of our fathers, he says, is Ananias speaking. He says, the the God of our fathers appointed you, and again that it's a it's a different word than the word appointed earlier, but it, it still means this idea of God's plan for him. He, he appointed you for several things: one, to know His will; two, to see the righteous one; and 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 to hear. A voice from his mouth. For what purpose? Verse fifteen: For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, 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 do this. And Paul says he, he told him to do this—to to be baptized, to do what we did earlier today, and, and confess what's true has already taken place inwardly, as God has saved us. And then it says in verse seventeen. I was in Jerusalem, Paul says, and I was praying in the temple. I fell into a trance and I I saw him saying to me, I think he's talking here about the the Lord uh, Christ, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, now remember earlier, Paul said, okay, God, whatever you tell me to do, that's what I want to do. He says, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Uh, I'm not saying I'm not going to do this, Lord, but I, I think there might be some impediments to ministry here for me. And Paul recognizes that even though God has saved him, there's this, there's this difficulty he's going to have in the ministry that God has called them to. But no matter what, Paul is excited to do what God has told him to do. He says in verse 21, and he said to me, go and I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And Paul would tell us later this excites him because he wants to to proclaim Christ to those who don't know him. Romans Romans chapter 15 Paul would say, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul is excited about the opportunity because he's been converted, because he has a new heart. No longer is he on a path of pursuing that thing those things that will deny god glory but he wants to engage in ministry that's going to to proclaim the name of jesus christ far and wide and so he engages in that with excitement and those who are in christ must do the same last thing i want to see here in verse 22 we cling to our kingdom if we're unconverted we refuse to abandon our kingdom if we're unconverted he says, he says I, that Jesus told them, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And verse 22 says, up until this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and they said, away with such a fellow from the earth. He shouldn't be even allowed to live. They are not a fan of God's plan. Their God doesn't love the Gentiles. The God, the idolatrous God of their untransformed heart. Here's a key question as we think about verse 22 and as we think about really Paul's defense here. Are we Paul or are we the crowd? A lack of gospel impulse, a lack of desire to make Christ known, a lack of desire to be obedient to God's call to proclaim his name, among the nations is not a sign of being converted like Paul. It's a sign of a lack of a transformed heart. Paul's defense here is, look, I I used to be like you, but God changed me. And that is the reason why I love Gentiles and why I minister to them. A believer remembers who they used to be is in awe of God's redemption and wants to make him known. People who are born again abandon their own kingdom and joyfully Proclaim Christ's kingdom. A student who doesn't take biology classes is is probably not really pre-med, right? A believer who doesn't have a desire to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ may not actually be a believer. I'm not not saying does it with perfection. I'm not saying a a believer must uh, never waver in their desires that never struggle with the reality of who they used to be before Christ. All of those things are gonna be true of believers as well. But for those of us who've been transformed by Jesus Christ, this is what we need to remember. We need to remember we used to be separated from God. And then God did a miracle in our lives. And this miracle of regeneration, of giving life where there used to be death, is a miracle of such magnitude, of such life-changing importance that we are never able to get past it. It is is a miracle that we think about and are changed by on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. That's what we need to be reminded of sometimes. And for those of us who are in Christ, we now say, okay, I, I, because of who I used to be, because of this miracle of regeneration that took place in my life, I want, to, I want others to experience this as well so they can experience the, the new life. But I also want to proclaim this because of how matchless the name of my God is. Those things are not things we, we have to be reminded to do if our hearts have been transformed. Real quickly, on, on Thursday, our uh, refrigerator decided it had had enough uh, and so I, I spent a couple hours kind of troubleshooting some things we, we, we got her back up and going again she's doing okay um, but I'll tell you um, I needed to do that it's my job my heart was not in it I do not love home repairs I do not don't tell her I don't love that refrigerator okay <laughs> Thursday night I took Whitney out uh, on a date. That I did enjoy. You don't have to convince me, hey, Daniel, I think you need to spend time with your wife. That's, there's joy in that, right? It's also obedience. It's also obedience. But it's, it's joy. It comes from a heart that, I don't love my refrigerator. I love my wife, right? Sharing the gospel is obedience. We need to do it. But if there's no, no desire you haven't seen the beauty of Jesus and, and have a desire to tell others about this, this beautiful Lord that has saved you, there, there's some questions you need to ask. But if you do love the Lord and have a desire to, to proclaim and say, you know, I haven't been doing it the way I need to, confess your sin, proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord in your heart and ask God to continue to help you to proclaim the matchless name of his son Jesus. There is a missionary zeal that accompanies genuine conversion. That's Paul's defense here. I love Christ, and I love to make him known. That's that's the threat that he poses to the idolatrous love the Jews have in this story of their culture. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We we thank you for the, the salvation that we have in him. Father, we, 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 we read the story of these people who are angry at Paul and are, we're not surprised. It's not shocking to us that, that people would love the world more than you. Uh, Father, our own hearts love, love our world and our culture and our customs sometimes more than we love your kingdom. We're thankful for our culture. We're, we're thankful for the, the things you've given us. But Father, protect us from idolatry. And Father, we, we pray that as we, we think about your matchless name, you would give us, even now as, as we're praying, that you would, you would just put a name on our hearts. The name of someone in our life who does not know your son Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And Father, we, we just take a moment here and we, we pray for that person by name. We pray that they would experience the miracle of regeneration in their life, that you would give them a new heart, that they would hear the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, and and through your enabling work, you would allow them to, to turn from their sin and to place their faith in Jesus Christ alone. Father, if there's someone here in this room this morning, we pray that you would work a miracle of regeneration in them right in this moment, that you'd cause them to recognize the reality of sin, the hopelessness of the path that they're on, and cause them to trust in your son Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and say, what shall I do, Lord? To live a life of obedience to you from a changed heart. We pray this in the matchless name of your son Jesus. Amen.